CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Get fired up. Oh, yeah. Performance-enhancing audio. audio. This is the State of Combat Podcast with Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah, you hear the excitement in my voice. Back with a bang on the SOC. Another week in the life of the mixed martial arts. Uh, reminder that that nobody nobody has a record quite like the SOC of delivering deep in your ear hole. Nobody has a record. I'm sorry. Nobody has a record. Forget it. Okay, just forget it. All right. That was the voice of my co-host. Let me bring him in right now. Busy time as always in the sport. It is the UFC Hall of Famer, the former 205 King. Always sweet, never sour. The tower of ayahuasca power. It is the great Sugar Rashad Evans. He survived earthquakes. He survived the big right hand of Forrest Griffin. How is it on this Tuesday morning, Rashad? It is absolutely delightful, man. It is delightful. And I'm surviving life. I'm surviving the pandemic. I'm surviving a lot out here, BC. I'm surviving some great fights. I'm surviving a great weekend of action. That's what I'm talking about. That's what exactly what I'm talking about, okay? All right? That's what I'm doing here. Uh, we had a loaded weekend. Got a lot to wrap up. Uh, uh, the rise of Vadim Nemkov and Bellator. Frankie Edgar announcing that, uh, you know, meet the new boss. Same as the old boss. He ain't going anywhere at 38. So shout out to us old fellas. We'll look ahead to this weekend. Uh, the ever-changing times, Rashad, in the UFC's light heavyweight and heavyweight division there. Things are getting pretty damn fun. Excited to break it down with you. Uh, hey, five-star review. You know the deal. If you like the show, and I know you do, okay? That's what I'm talking about right there. Uh, I don't think I got any ads to read, anything to sell you. I just want to sell you fun and entertainment, all right? All right, Rashad, South Florida, uh, what are we doing these days? We're wearing masks. What are we doing? We walk around naked. What's happening? <laughs> we got the mask. Uh it's still a hot spot, though, but uh, people are pretty much, you know, careful as they can be. Um, but, I mean, we, we just live life out here in Florida. I mean, some people say we're reckless. We're still going to the beach and everything else like that. But, I mean, we're South Florida, you know, we're South Florida people. We, we enjoy life, you know. There is a term called Florida man. Have you ever identified with that term? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh yeah good times great oldies here on the soc uh rashad i gotta give ufc credit man I, I you know like they carried us through this crazy quarantine they've carried pro sports they're still the sort of i know everyone's fired up for the nba playoffs it's been a fun ride watching that uh baseball's been you know stop and start soccer rocking out i don't get into it but the soccer has been rocking out with that tournament on the old cbs this week but Every time I turn around, UFC is announcing or teasing another, like, insane fight. Have you been catching the same secondhand feels that I have when Dana White's like, yeah, Tony Ferguson, Dustin Poirier, it might be in the works right now. Like, are you kidding me, Rashad? Yeah, I get excited about those. I mean, because, listen, during this pandemic, it's it's favoring who's ever ready and, you know, the, the most favorable matchups, the most exciting matchups that we've been wanting to uh, see is, is just happening, and it's happening mostly because these fighters don't know 
when they're going to get the opportunity. So most of these guys, when the opportunity come, they're seizing it. There's not much, you know, mental thought going into it. They're like, I'm going to take this opportunity because I've been sitting on the side and I, and I need to stay active. Yeah, indeed. Uh, that fight right there. Uh, yeah, like, holy crap, not even a title fight among the best fights you can make in the sport. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm a boxing guy and I look at the boxing calendar and I'm excited about certain landmarks. If you told me you can get Tony Dustin or all those other ones, I'm taking Tony Dustin. It's going to be that wild, that, that crazy. Uh, there's going to be a lot on the line in that one, especially with Habib saying, if I can't fight GSP, I want to fight whoever Dustin Poirier fights and whoever comes out of that. So uh, wild times. Okay. We may end up getting Tony Habib for the 17th time before this career is over for the great. <laughs> wouldn't, that be, wouldn't that be? I mean, listen, it, it's got to happen. They've been scheduled to fight at least seven times. So it, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. Yes, definitely. Uh, any other, uh, you got any ESPN cards coming up? Anything going on in the life? You, 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 I mean, you and Coach. Yeah, this, this week. This week I'm, I'm, uh, I'm heading out to uh, Vegas to be there for Rakic, Rakic and, uh, and Anthony Smith. I, I'm, you know, a lot of people wondering if there's a part of you in the back of your mind that's like, let's go Team Rakic, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, nah, you, me, me, and, me and Smith actually got pretty cool, man. I was actually going to go out and help him out for this camp, but just didn't have enough time uh, – to, to do everything I wanted to do. But yeah, he, he's actually turned out to be one of, uh, one of, one of my better friends. Isn't that weird? Isn't you know, that weird? <laughs> get in there and bang. And then, you know, afterwards, Hey, look, you and John Jones buried the damn hatchet. It happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. All right. Uh, that is good. Rashad back on the screen where he belongs there. Uh, what's the, um, the test like these days, Rashad, the, the, they stick that thing down your brain or what? No, nah, they actually stick. They have a throat one that they do now, but, what they do as far as, you know, as soon as you get there, they have someone pick you up from the airport and then you go right to the testing tent. And then from there, once you take the test, you have to go to your room, you have to quarantine your room and you can't go out for until the next day. And I'm talking about food, everything. There's somebody even waiting at the end of the hallway to make sure that you don't wow. you know, sneak anybody in or sneak in. And even when they bring your food, because you have to order like Uber Eats or one of those, uh, one of those uh, services, they will have the food there at the front when they first come in and then they'll they'll bring it to your room but there's there's no contact until the next day and then the next day when after you do that you go to the tent you take your temperature check you uh see if you pass the test most likely you pass the test if you're, you're you're reaching that stage then you get a new race band and then you go on a bus and then you work that day and then as soon as you get out of work you may have like an hour or two to uh do something that you know uh, uh, on your own but then you have to be back by the testing facility at, at the tent around like 6.30 because 7, 7 o'clock, they're shutting it down. There's no more tests after that. Wow. What does Rashad Evans do inside a hotel room for 24 hours to uh, relieve himself? And, you know. <laughs> I just do nothing but read. It's actually, it's, actually, uh, it's actually worked out better for me. You know, I have a tendency to slack a little bit. So, um, you know, having nothing else to do but read and watch fights and – you know, just catch up on some things that I haven't been able to. It's, it's, it's not bad. All right. I'm into that. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Quick pause for the cause. On the other side, we're going to get into that meat, get our hands dirty, a lot to break down, review, preview, coming back at you in two and two. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. 
Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. BC Sugar Rashad getting at it. Let's get right into it, Rashad. Bellator 244 on Friday night. I don't know how closely you were keeping your ear to the grindstone, but the great Ryan Bader, the two-division former Bellator champion, was a guest on CBS Sports HQ last week. I did the interview. I said, hey, Darth, you know, Darth Bader. Uh, John Jones moved up. Daniel Cormier moved out. Who's, who's the damn best light heavyweight in the world? He said, it's me. I'm number one, baby. And I'm going to be honest, Rashad. When he said it, I wasn't like some of these haters who were like, oh, you went to Bellator because you couldn't compete with the tough. No, I was like, you know, he might very well be. There were two sneaky things, though, going up against that. One, Vadim Nemkov may have been more dangerous than we thought. And two, Sir Bader hadn't really been a light heavyweight in three years, Rashad. You got to, you know, that's interesting. Wins the championship, defends it, then goes heavyweight and doesn't go back. Well, he came back and we found out that Vadim Nemkov is someone very much for real. Seven wins in a row. He absolutely dismantled Bader in a second round finish. The ref giving Bader every possible chance to survive and he got sent to hell. Rashad, how surprised are you at that outcome? I was very shocked, you know, just because, uh, you know, Nemkov, the way he just came out the gate, you know, he came out really hard out the gate, just being, you know, the bigger fighter, uh, stronger fighter, you can tell that right out the gate and just shooting some heat uh, right out the gate. And Bader had to just uh, make adjustments, but the adjustments that he made, he couldn't do right. He couldn't do right because whatever he was trying to adjust to, Nimkov was coming with so much power, it was actually knocking Bader off and discombobulating him where he couldn't even find, you know, get, get, get his, his bearings all the way set before Rockage was there. I mean, before uh, uh, he was able to get put out. But it, it, was, it, was, it was a great performance by Nimkov just because of how ferocious, how fast, how – he looked as if like, okay, now we're seeing a transition between skill level between, you know, of the old Bellator and the new surging of talent of Bellator talent that's been brought up underneath the Bellator banner. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I kind of got a feeling of watching that guy Nimkov. Nemkov, just 28 from Russia. He's 5-0 and with Bellator, but these last four wins, Rashad, submits Liam McGarry, split decision Phil Davis, submits Rafael Carvalho, and knocks out Ryan Bader. That's four straight former Bellator champions. Um, excuse me. We know he's a disciple of Fedor. I wonder if there was a little bit of like, let me get my boys back there, right? Bader had sent Fedor to hell with the left hook there, and um, the Sambo disciple came back and got it. How much of this win, and obviously, you know, 70% of it is probably this guy, Nemkov's for real, let's take notice. But not to make excuses, again, Bader hadn't cut down to 205 in three years. He was telling me he would try to live in that 205 to 220 bubble so that when that call came in from Bellator, he didn't know if he was going light heavyweight, never was going to go heavyweight, but he felt he had no excuses, he was going to be ready. Did you see a compromised fighter at all, a slower fighter compared to the Bader of old? Yeah, I seen I seen a Bader. He just looked um, a little bit more relaxed than than Bader normally looks. You know, when when Bader fights his best is when he fights when he fights scared. You know, when Bader looks like he's scared and he fights scared, he usually fights phenomenal. You know, and and I didn't see that same kind of fear or just that kind of nervousness 
in there from Bader. You know, his energy just didn't have that, that kind of energy that, that he normally has. And, you know, not for nothing, when, when you're in there and you're beating everybody like he's beating in, in Bellator from the moment he came in, you know, it kind of does a lot to your ego where you feel like, you know what, there's nobody in this, in this whole league that can touch me. So you, you can start cutting corners. You can start to not see uh, up-and-coming um, talent that may be a threat to where you are. And that's what I think happened here. He just, you know, took his eye off the prize and didn't see the, cat, the competition catching up to him and got comfortable with competing at a, set, a certain level with Bellator, not realizing that he has some dogs coming behind him. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, look, you know, what if Mr. Coker called you up and said, Rashad, we're going to need you to go in there and tame that lion. All right. All right. Well, I mean, I mean, could you dismantle this man, this, this man, Nemkov? Listen, I mean, Nimkov is solid. I mean, you, you look at the guy, he's, he's, he's really big. Um, he's super fast. Uh, he's explosive. Uh, he, has, he has great fight IQ where he knows how to get you in the right position. It'll be a tough one. It'll be a tough one. You know, I'll, I'll tell you that right now. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to go ahead and say anybody that whooped my butt, even though I ain't competing in a long time. I'm just saying it would be a tough one. This kept, dude, look, he kept off no his joke. back for a round yeah. So uh, this is fun now because you think that at 37, you tell Ryan Bader, look, man, you know, maybe it's better to fight the slower guys and, and, and you look really good at heavyweight. You can box, you can wrestle, stay at heavyweight and do your thing. Good news for Bellator. If that happens that way, is this 205 division ain't bad. When you consider you got Machida, Phil Davis, Musasi can fight at this weight and you've got an incoming Corey Anderson now with a, with a hot young champion and Nemkov on top. There's going to be some fun fights to make. I mean, is Nemkov just by these last four or five wins in a row in your eyes a top five 205er in the world? I definitely think so. I've seen something that, that in him that makes me think he can compete with some of the best guys at, at 205. You know, kind of looking at him from a physical standpoint, he reminds me a lot of this Saturday's uh, competitor, Rakic, the way that he's, he's built in, in, in his size and everything like that, and kind of the way that he, he uh, fights from that long position, that long strike. So he kind of reminds me of Rakic in that respect. So I think that in the UFC, he, he would do phenomenal. He would definitely be a top contender in the UFC. It's interesting to see Corey Anderson uh, looking to make his debut and w- hearing his response watching that fight. I was watching him on uh, – I seen him on Twitter afterwards and Instagram, and he was talking about, you know, okay, he's really excited about this. And just, you know, you can see, tell he's like licking his lips at his opportunity to go out there and compete at this, uh, at this level. Because here's the thing about it, like, and, and you said it before, even even just joking around, you know, Bellator is one of those leagues where people are like, ah, you know, they're they're tough, but they're not the toughest of the toughest competition. And I think we're we're starting to see a slow change. We're starting to see a change happen here. And, and, and uh, Nimkov is is good proof of them starting to breed some decent talent within their own ranks. Yeah, we've seen that before in some of the other divisions, like the the. The uh, the Spartan Koreshkov types, you know, Bellator's got this pipeline with uh, with Eastern Europe, and uh, they're they're producing some some good guys. Obviously, along with those lower weight classes, where they're already stocked at featherweight and 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 bantamweight around there. Um, tough break for Bader, as we mentioned. Ryan Bader, All right, take that, Ryan Bader. Okay, because you know, uh, at the end of the day, right? I'm I'm not Bader. Guess what? I'm not Ryan Bader. My- yeah, exactly. Um. Rashad, as we look at 205 as a whole, it's, it's a good time for John Jones to go away. And we'd sort of been saying that for a while. Like, go to heavyweight. Make, you know, make some history. Go fulfill your, your, your resume. He doesn't leave an empty cupboard behind. We're going to see, it was announced, 
Dominic Reyes against Jan Blahovich for that vacant 205 title. We got a great fight in Tiago Maheta Santos coming back against Glover Teixeira. We also have the potential boogeyman, your man, Anthony Rumble Johnson, announcing he's going to enter the USADA pool, and he's aiming for 205. Uh, those are like five names right there that matter. I think any of them could end up the champion. Uh, can you crystal ball my ass for a second and tell me about a year from now? Who's your guy? Who do you think is the – and I didn't even mention Rakic, Anthony Smith, Jiri Przachka, or however the hell we pronounce that guy's name. There's some studs now. I want to find out who's the big – who's got the big one. That's what I want to know. I think right now, you know, uh, with Anthony Johnson competing on the side, uh, just looking at what we have in the UFC, I think you have to go to Dom Reyes who, who pushed John Jones to the limit and, and who's shown that – you know, in that fight, he's capable of making the adjustments that he need to, you know, on the fly, and he's able to do that. And that's something that John Jones has made a staple out of in, in, his, in his many title defenses. You know what I'm saying? John Jones is one of the most uh, – he's one of the smartest fighters inside the octagon because he makes those adjustments throughout the fight, and we've seen that in Dominic Reyes. So I think he's one of those guys who can step up and step in, and be a strong uh, replacement for John Jones, but he's got – the likes of Maheta behind him, you know, Glover Teixeira, who, who, who's showing in an Anthony Smith fight that he's found a new way of fighting. You know what I'm saying? Now he's learned how to put together his brutal striking, but now he's learned to lean more on his grappling and, and, and just all those kind of the, those things that he didn't really do before when he Frank came into the UFC. So now we have, have a, a lot of guys in, in the, in the weight class that um going to be biding for that spot, but, I mean, right now, Dominic Reyes is the guy. When Anthony Johnson gets in on the scene, it's going to change because the kind of power that Anthony Johnson has, there is nobody in the light heavyweight division that can compete with that kind of power because Anthony Johnson's power is almost accidental in a sense where he's just throwing a punch in a reaction. And next thing you know, the guy's knocked out. Not just barely knocked out where he's moving around. I'm talking about knocked out where they need to smell and salt and some stretcher to get him out the octagon. Yeah, uh, this is going to be fun because I think the betting odds should favor Dom Reyes as your long-term champion here because, I mean, he pretty much can do it all. He's young. He's game. But, Rashad, I went back and watched our guy, Maheta in his last two or three fights the other night on UFC Fight Pass, and I know he has a big hurdle to overcome, which is like the double leg injury that he suffered against John Jones in which he was – I mean, that's a gritty-ass performance by Tiago Santos to be, like, immobile but keep swinging for the fences and to, you know, push that to a split-decision loss where some people thought he won it. I don't know. I know his window is not going to be that large. He's already 35, 36, Maheta. But you look at – he was like a wild slugger originally, but I think he's put together a knowledge of the game, a better technical side of the game, and just that scary nature – where he can end it at any time. Reyes, I think, is the favorite. Anthony Johnson is the wild card, but it could end up being Maheta. And if you told me right now you could see the future and we get like a Dom Reyes-Maheta trilogy or something for the title, I mean, this could be fun shit. You know what I'm saying? It could be yeah, real. I, All right? I totally understand what you're saying. Maheta, 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 Maheta. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Maheta, Maheta, Maheta. Uh, yeah, back to Maheta. Yes, you're absolutely right about him, man. I um, I'm really high on this guy. I think that you know he's he's a very smart fighter. He showed that in his fight. The fight that showed me that he was just more 
than than that brawler that we're just getting in those brawls where he always you know landed heavier shot was the Jan Blahowicz fight you know and that and that fight with Jan you know he he had he was he did a much more patient uh, fight and you've seen what happened you've seen the results and you've seen Jan actually being a person to come forward and end up serving himself up on a knockout platter. But that's the kind of um, mindset that we've seen, the, 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 I guess, the transition from, from, from when he was just brawling. And then we've seen when, um, when he fought John Jones, he still retained a lot of that, that cerebral fighting style. You know, he just didn't go crazy. So I'm, you're looking at a, a Maheta who understands he has power, understands he has the ability to, to just um, do some brutal things with people with his hands. But now he's a very smart fighter, and he knows that, you know what, if I slow things down a little bit, I'm still going to be able to land those power shots. And you know what, UFC, I wonder if they would have preferred that John Jones did the Dom Reyes rematch before going to heavy, just from the standpoint of if Dom wins it, that's the ultimate rub and stamping of the next great superstar. But they, they still benefited from both guys, meaning Maheta and Dom Reyes, pushing John Jones to the limit and where you could argue both guys won. So now instead of having this empty cupboard feeling where we don't know who's really going to be next, I'm super excited because I feel like a lot of these guys are validated specifically from those two fights and the performances they had where they could have, you know, you could argue they, they won those. And um, it kind of reminds me when GSP went away at welterweight, it's like he went away, but he left behind Johnny Hendricks, Robbie Lawler, Roy McDonald, Ty, you know, Tyron Woodley, who were all prime, ready, and hungry and had great fights against each other. So um, it's going to be fun to see where we go from here. Anything else on that Bellator card tickle you, Rashad? I mean, it wasn't, you know, the, the deepest offering. Nah, you know, it's, it's always sad to see my boy Roy Nelson take an L, but you know, I mean. Yeah, well, it might be time, Rashad, okay? Yeah, I mean. Uh, Can you really lose 9 out of 10 and still be allowed to continue? I don't, I don't know. Listen, the, the, the shout-out goes to Bellator for honoring their contracts. Shout-out to Bellator. <laughs> shout-out, indeed. All right, then. Um, yes, let's move on here. Uh, the bigger story of the weekend, of course, was what we saw in that Bantamweight main event. 38-year-old Frankie Edgar, UFC Fight Night Vegas, making his Bantamweight debut. Rashad, you've done it. Other people have done it. But – when you think about a guy in their late thirties moving down in weight, I'm sorry. I always think desperation. I think this is my last chance to, to, you know, show that I'm, I'm legit. This didn't feel like desperation because Frankie Edgar, despite coming off two straight losses, despite coming off a disastrous knockout goes in there against a killer in Pedro Munoz and shows you chiseled body, five round stamina, the same hunger, the same chin of old. I may have scored it three to two for Pedro. Other people did too. But this was a great-ass main event that I feel like you could flip the coin and the judges, the judges favored Frankie. Uh, I feel like we're going to circle this and remember this when we look back on Frankie Edgar. You're going to say, all oh, the Maynard fights, the this, the that. Remember that time when he was old and he totally – you know I mean? Like, what a freaking great-ass performance. It was, and he had to dig deep in that fight, you know, and, and Pedro uh, presented some challenges to him that he hasn't faced in a while, you know. And, um, you know, he, he was very smart about it. You've you seen Frankie on his bike a lot on the outside, but it just wasn't a bike. It just wasn't on his bike as if, like, he was just trying to avoid any kind of action. It was very meticulous. It was very uh, strategic. You know, he was moving out the angles, popping with the jab, getting out the angles, getting out the way before Pedro can react, and really just kept Pedro um, just a few seconds behind him when it came to reacting, when it came to even just initiating uh, some of the punches you know, Pedro was able to 
slow down Frankie by utilizing that jab to bloody up his nose. And you kind of seen as the fight went on, Frankie was starting to slow down behind the effectiveness of Pedro's jab. But had not been for Pedro's jab being able to put some kind of uh, stick on uh, um, Frankie Edgar, I think Frankie Edgar just would have ran away with it just because he was mixing it up so well with Pedro going from the with the movement, the lateral movement, but then not only that, hitting him once he got to a, a place where Pedro wasn't, and then he had the transitions with the takedowns and the attempts and the kicks. So he was mixing it up really well, but the Pedro Munoz landing an effective jab and then mounting an offense off of that effective jab re- brought him back in a fight, and it was just an amazing fight for both fighters. It was a fantastic performance. It makes me want to have this discussion, Rashad. We, we credit Frankie for fighting over his head for years, going in there against bigger guys and utilizing his speed and his wrestling and his boxing. He was the damn UFC lightweight champion like eight years ago. But he said that, you know, this weight cut wasn't that bad. He said it's the same thing as cutting to featherweight, more or less. I just had to start a little bit earlier. I've, I don't remember ever seeing Frankie Edgar in there being looking eye to eye with another man and having a longer reach than that guy as he had against Munoz. Could he have been like the resume that we give Dom Reyes? We sort of look at him in a lot of ways as, you know, the greatest bantamweight of all time, despite the injuries. He came back a bunch of times. That could have been Frankie Edgar this whole time. I mean, you know, he's already a legend. I'm not saying Frankie Edgar missed out, but damn, imagine him at this weight his whole career. He would have had more power. He would have been more physically imposing. It's interesting to think about because this ain't no, like, this is a big-ass win. This is the kind of win that covers up when we go, oh, Frankie Edgar back in the title picture. It's only because he's a name. Well, no, he just beat, the, he just beat Pedro Munoz. I mean, yeah. I mean, could you imagine him at 35, 35 for his whole run? That, I, I know. But here's one thing I will say, though, that I did see the difference in, in the speed, in the speed with the hands. You know, I felt as if, like, Pedro was, was a lot closer with the hand speed than uh, you seen Frankie with the advantage with his other fighters, with other fighters in other weight classes, you know, normally speaking, you see Frankie out there and he's blazing with combinations, hitting guys with two, three, four punches before they can even react to one shot. But you, you see him right away. Um, defensively speaking, uh, Frankie had to be more responsible with his combinations because Pedro was reacting so fast. And it was an adjustment that Frankie had to make during the fight because he was getting caught by some big shots. That guy's just got a a, a sick all-time, not just chin, because the thing that makes Frankie Edgar fun is, like, you can drop him, you can hurt him. So it's not, I mean, like, yeah, there's a great chin in there, but it's more of the will. It's the will that gets up. You can flash knockdown certain guys all day. But, I mean, he is one of the all-time great, certainly motors, but also just want. And, like, you know, I don't know. I feel like I, I'm, I'm, you know, right. In, like I'm like, he didn't win the championship on Saturday. Right. Like I'm not trying to go that far. I'm just saying like, I, I didn't expect this. I feel, I feel you. I feel you because I, I didn't either. I did. And here's the thing about it. When you see a guy who's, who's, who's getting older, uh, the first thing that goes is the legs, the legs go, you notice it in the legs, the legs just doesn't seem to move as well. Then you see, you know, the chin, the chin starts to go and, and then the reactions and everything like that. But you've seen, None of those signs of aging from Frankie, you know, even when, you know, he did get caught with a big shot from, from Pedro, he didn't, you know, you barely even tell that it was a a bad shot besides his reaction. I mean, he wasn't falling over off of it, you know, and he still had some power and and he had power that, you know, you you didn't really see in the other way classes, but when he caught um, Pedro in the third round with that big right hand, I was like, okay, Frankie got 
a lot of stank on his punches still, even at this weight class three rounds into this fight. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, so here's the deal. He's not going to get the fast track to the title because I think Dana White did the right thing by announcing Aljo, Aljamain Sterling is next for Peyo Treyan. Rashad, that's a badass fight. Aljo's deserving. Dana was a little weird for a while. You know, we didn't know what he was doing. Is he keeping the door open for Frankie? No, he's doing the right thing. But what does this do for Frankie now? Is he one more win away? Is he, should he just sit out for nine months and, and, you know, maybe end up in a title shot? I mean, like, you got to believe he's no worse than the number two contender from this, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's going he's gonna, to, assuming he takes that number five spot, he, he's, in pretty, he's in pretty good position. But then the problem comes, who is he going to face? You know, with all the top challengers uh, locked up and then Marlon Marais, his teammate, I don't think that's going to happen. So, uh, you know, you know is that, is that pretty much stance? Next. That's a What's that? Marais and Sanhagen got announced as well. That's a Yeah, yeah, that's, that's going to be a great fight, Marais and Sanhagen. So, I mean, I, I guess he can take, you know, Sanhagen if he wins, but then he's still going to be uh, going to be waiting out. But I, I would like to see Frankie at least do one, at least two more fights before he gets gets a title shot. But I think staying busy is the most important thing for him right now, especially, you know, getting his footing in his 135 pound weight class. He needs to just kind of feel himself in there and, uh, you know, get that confidence at that 135 weight class. This weight class is so good. I mean, when I can just tell you, we're going to see Jan Aljo, Sanhagen, uh, Marlon Marais, and now it's like, what do we do with Frankie? What if they did Frankie against Dominic Cruz? Like, come on, come on, oh, no. give me that. that. Now, that that's what I want to see. I mean, Frank uh, Dominic Cruz is like rank, I think, number 10, which I don't really understand. I mean, it's Dominic Cruz here. But um, that would be the fight to make. I don't, I don't know if Frankie would take that one because it does nothing for his, his upward mobility. Uh, but at the same time, it's a fan favorite, and that would be one hell of a fight. I mean, we've done this kind of thing before when we thought Frankie was old. Remember, thought it was Frankie against Faber. It was like, okay, we got two yeah. old Fun little night at the office. I liked it. I'm going to smash you, brother. Believe that. You didn't smash him, though, Uncle uh, Mr. Faber. Um, we're not talking enough about, yeah, this division's great, but uh, TJ Dillashaw is going to be back. Like, so, Oh, my I don't know gosh. When? But what are we, you know, I mean, we just had Cody Garbrandt move down and that big name out of it. What if you sprinkle back in TJ Dillashaw? I mean, Mm. you know, there's a lot going against him. He's in his thirties. He's coming off the drug suspension, but he's going to be a player. You know, there's too much. There's a lot going against him, but there's a lot going for him as far as just mentality is concerned and where he's at from a mental standpoint. I follow him on IG and he's so cantankerous and just like chomping at the bit to get back out there and just and get that belt back, you know, and watching his technique. I love watching his technique. He's, he's one of the most beautiful fighters as far as technique. I, I love his fighting style. I love his transitions. He just makes fighting look so, so beautiful and so poetic. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's going to see the tools that he added with all this time off and just see how much he, he's, he's, you know, what else, what other wrinkle he's brought to his game. Absolutely. Uh, fired up about the future here. Uh, big win, as we mentioned there for Frankie. Not a whole lot to talk about on that undercard, but it was a shocker there in that women's flyweight bout. You know how much I've been harping on this Kazakh prospect, Maria Agapova, who has come in looking like, you know, Ioana part two, boogie woman on steroids. And she, she unfortunately, Rashad, 
she may have pulled the Michelle Padeda. She may have, she may have pulled the Johnny Walker playbook move here by dancing so aggressively during the instructions. I'm like, she might blow her load there. You know what I mean? She might shoot her shot too early. She goes in as an insane betting favorite against Shauna Dobson. The, the most we had seen, this is from, a, from an upset, from a betting standpoint, the biggest upset in UFC history had been Holly Holm taking out Ronda Rousey when I think Holm was like a plus 850 or something uh, betting underdog. This was the exact same on that on this night. How shocking to you, not just that Shauna Dobson was a good fighter, came out and did this, but that it didn't seem, it seemed like a, a Gakubova just melted. I mean, it was like the, the, the pouring the water on the witch and the Wizard of Oz. Like, she was there, and then she wasn't there anymore, and the fight was over. Uh, tough for a prospect to eat that. It, it really is. I mean, you know, Gakubova came out just on fire right out the gate, putting a lot of pressure on Dobson, just giving her a lot. And almost it looked as more than Dobson can handle. And then there was a turning point, you know, where Dobson started to have some success. Uh, they had a grappling exchange. And then after the grappling exchange, you, you just seen a Gapova just come up and she just wasn't, she just wasn't the same anymore. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, um, th- just, just the second round, it, you know, uh, Dobson is just, uh, just, just looked amazing. And, and, and here's the, here's the thing about it. I like the mindset of Dobson just because going into that fight, she knew that she was an underdog and she knew all the, the odds were stacked against her, but you know, she, she had that self-belief and she was going for broke and that, that right there, it, it served her, it served her right. But I mean, I'm still, I'm still, uh, on Agapova. I, I think that she still has a lot of potential training ATT and working with the, those guys, those guys over there. And, uh, with, with Joanna Young Jacek, it's just that sometimes when you start to believe in your own hype too much, there's a humbleness that, that, that has to happen to you. And that's what she experienced. I mean, the good, if there's any good news, she didn't get beat. She lost. Like, she beat herself, right? Like, she wasn't yeah. solved. There's a difference. When you get solved, when you get caught and it's a breakdown in your defense, you know, that's more of like, maybe I'm not the person I thought I was. Uh, she just kind of fought, fought a little too aggressively stupid and got in, in, in it paid, you know, in it, in it burned her. And uh, I hope she does bounce back, but big win there for Shauna to, to, you know, save face. I mean, nobody wants to go into a fight being that much of an underdog, but then you heard on the broadcast, they said uh, the UFC matchmakers were excited to put this together. They had to talk Dana off the ledge and be like, no, I'm telling you, this is going to be a good fight. So uh, it's, it's shrewd to have smart men in those roles there that they have. They're the matchmakers. They're, they're very much like Vegas odds makers, right? Like they, they know. Yeah. I mean, I went into their war room and and going into their war room. uh, They have (laughs) all the names of all the fighters, on the wall, you know, and they go in there and they battle it out, you know, for these matchups, who's going to get there and they argue and they fight and stuff like that. But that's what you got to get to get the best fights, you know. We also saw two wild comeback victories. I don't know if you saw this, Rashad. Welterweight Dwight Grant was putting it on Daniel Rodriguez. And then, like, out of nowhere, the tide shifted. Rodriguez comes back for an emotional uh, finish. He's the one with the 1986 tattoo on Titi uh, going on there. And also, <laughs> to open that card, you see Trevin Jones took this fight on three days' notice, was getting murdered in round one, came back to stop Timor Valiev. Uh, you don't normally see two miraculous ones on the same night, and then you add that dobson Agapova fight. It was a little bit of a, you know, wildness going on there. Something It the- was. It was, and this, this is one of those cars that you look at, you know, it didn't get a lot of press. Nobody was really covering it, really talking too much about it, but 
it came through, man. That was some good Saturday night viewing for me. Like I was thoroughly enjoying myself. Like, man, I wish I could get to talk about these fights tonight. But it <laughs> so uh, we saw the uh, the great Kamaru Usman stealing your role there at the end. Yes, yeah, yeah. Usman was there. Um, Rashad, let's talk a little bit about some upcoming fights that are on the docket. This Woodley Covington thing is for real, and I th- I think it's. It's not out of bounds to have some legitimate fears about Tyron Woodley, uh, the mindset, the, the backbone. Does he still want to be here? Is he still willing to take that great talent that I think is still in there and pour it out? It didn't seem like he was willing against Kamaru and against Gilbert Burns when he was handled. He knew he was handled, and that was it. Um, some people have come back at me and been like, dude, uh, Covington's not as big as Usman. It may not be that easy for Covington to just smother him and make this a one-sided fight. Do you have any early feels on which direction this is going to go? Because like, this may be win or go home for Tyron Woodley. Well, as far as a size is concerned, Kobe Covington is not the physical specimen that Kamaru Usman is, but looking at that past, looking at their last fight, you know, that didn't really seem to matter when they fought. You know, he was still able to physically hold his on and push a very close and tough fight. So I'm not really looking at the physical ash roots on, on, on a static level. You know, I think that when it comes down to the efficiency of, of Colby Covington speaks for itself. You know, he, he, he takes the will of his fighters just by overwhelming them with so much pressure that they make mistakes and that he seizes the opportunity of the mistakes but it's just a lot of volume. Now, with, with Tyron, how is he going to handle that? And, and, and I say that because, and I think this is one of the main reasons why Tyron is kind of struggling right now, is when he was champion, he had a mindset as if he was so much better than everybody else. Like, they weren't even on a level, you know? Like, they shouldn't even come competing. And I, and I get it. Like, you do got to have that bravado in a sense when you're at the top of the weight class. But th- there's a big part of me that feels as if, like, he truly felt like that. And, and, I, and I say that because all the distractions outside the octagon, you know, told the story of him just, you know, feeling like he's that much ahead of the competition. So I feel with all of that said, that mental I'm better than this guy just because is hard to break. And if he is not breaking that mentality already thinking that he's better than Kobe for whatever reasons he may came to that conclusion – he may not do well in this fight, you know? So if, if he came to this fight saying, yo, I need to just, you know, start from scratch and just, you know, get back to the Tyron Willie that came in, into the UFC from strike force that felt like he needed to prove himself. You know, the, the, the Tyron Willie that, that fought uh, Gilbert Burns where, you know, he's, he's, he's fighting as if like, I'm a former legend, I'm a former champion. That, that champion, that fighter, can't hold the candle to anybody that he has to fight in the near future. So gotta, unless he's turning his mindset around, he's in trouble. He's got to find that dog. And I think you're right. Yeah. Look at his I, – I have so much respect for that reign he had. I think it's incredibly underrated. People don't realize that, like, he went out there against uh, Maya, against uh, Darren Till, against whoever, picked out the one skill they did best, beat them at that skill, sort of took it away from them, and just, like – dominate made made the fight so efficient and dominated them within that lane and i think that there's a when you do that when you go out and your game plan works that effectively i wonder if it there's a 
Like you get spoiled by that, I wonder. You know what I mean? You kind of can yeah. become a front runner. If it's not going the way you want, what do you do? I need the dog that was there for the first Stephen Thompson fight. Remember that crazy back and forth oh, yeah. uh, ragged affair in which they're both having huge advantages for a while? I need to see that same, you know, and I need to see the animal that was in there against Robbie Lawler too, who wants to go out there and looks to finish somebody. I, I just don't, but, I don't feel that anymore. And, and, here, and here's, the thing about, here's the thing about that whole dog mentality. Like – it's hard to have that dog mentality when you've been dogged a few times. Like when you've been like when you not just lost, but when you got dogged, like how he got dogged by Gilbert and how he got dogged by Kamaru, that that kind of hurts that whole dog mentality. Cause when you're a dog, you think like I'm the toughest dog in the yard and I'll go for broke. But then when you already know in your heart that you've been already dominated a couple of guys and really raised their leg on you. It, it, it hits different. You know what I'm saying? It's just not hitting with the same belief that it was before had that not situation not happened. So, you know, Tyron just got to do some soul searching with himself and just figure out like, why does he truly, truly want to do this? And if his, if that feeling's not burning for him, then he might have to get off the pot. Might have to happen. Uh, another interesting fight that got announced. Some people crapping on it. I don't get why. Amanda Nunes going to probably, so according to sources, ESPN's Brett Okamoto is saying Nunes going to defend the featherweight belt against Megan Anderson December 12th at a location to be determined. Rashad, I'm not here to, to make a you know upset plan here for Megan Anderson. I just think there's nobody else, and at least this is an interesting out. At that weight class, somebody who's long can fight on the ground is aggressive. Uh, I'm kind of into this fight. I feel like every other hardcore is like, nope, this fight sucks. What are we doing here? What else you want to do here? Seriously, Cyborg ain't coming back to that door. Yeah, I think when it comes down to it, Megan Anderson is, is the toughest at that weight class right now. And here's the thing about Megan Anderson is that she, we, like, we, have a chan- we have a chance to really watch Megan grow and to grow into her own you know we watched her struggle when she first came into the UFC but then we started to see her start to right some of those wrongs and those losses that she had and start to to win and and now we see her winning we see her looking good we see her confident now does that equate to a win against Amanda Nunes probably not but for the most part it definitely puts her in a conversation that she should be fighting this woman and 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 for not for nothing she has some things that that could potentially give uh, Amanda Nunes some trouble, you know? Amanda Nunes has been, you know, she, like her last few fights have not been my favorite Amanda Nunes' performances, you know what I'm saying? So if there's a time to beat Amanda, now is that time. I'm I'm completely with you on that. Uh, I brought up this idea before, but I'm kind of getting into it, okay? The UFC has been weird about the champ champ thing. Some people they've stripped right away. They gave Connor a long time, or they they made Connor pick right away which belt he was keeping. When DC became champ, champ right away, they're like, "Sorry, John Jones is back. You lost that belt." So Hudo, they made give up for Amanda. They're just like, "Hey, keep them both." And I maybe I get that because the the divisions are so thin, and she's like a celebrity. She's a celebrity fighter. She can carry a pay per view to a certain degree. But Rashad, I don't know. Like you know, with her rumors of teasing retirement, with baby on the way. Maybe it's time to just say, hey, stay the featherweight champion. You don't have to worry about cutting weight. You can fight once a year because that's really probably all we have right now for you in terms of viable contenders. You can start to live this part-time family life all you want. Let's find out at Bantamweight where there actually are not a lot, but there's a few young names, few names lingering. Let's open up that division again. Let's put the vacant title on the line. Um, are you down with that? Because it just seems weird that she gets to keep them both, 
every other champ champ has been told to, uh, to, to pick and choose which lane you're in. Well, she has to keep them both. You know, if she, if she doesn't keep them both, then uh, the, the 145 weight class probably goes away. You know what I'm saying? So she's a good placeholder for that 145 weight class because it gives them a chance to kind of build around her. If she's not at the 145 champion, then there is really no one strong that you can build around to put fighters in a weight class. So the weight class just kind of goes away due to neglect. But they need to have a 145 weight class. They really do need to have it right now. Even if the talent is not truly reflecting that right now, it's a but weight class that they need to have. 45, but I'm saying open up the 35 belt. Make it vacant. Right, right, right. Well, well, here's the thing about it. Like Amanda Nunes, I think she's better suited at 135. Sure. And, and, that, and, that, and that's where I think that, you know, for her, when she was doing both of them, you know, well, she's doing both of them, you know, but the prospect of doing 145 was exciting because double champ and everything like that. But now she's settling to life. She's settling to, to competing in this weight class in both weight classes. Now it's, you, you can see it becoming a bit burdensome on her, you know, just by listening to what she's saying, you know, as far as, you know, wanting to get out and do other things and just, you know, wanting to have life outside of fighting, she's getting burned out. And, and when, you're, when you're a champion in two weight classes and you always have a fire to put out in both of these weight classes, that gets to be exhausting because it's, it's no sooner than you're done fighting one person, the next thing it says, okay, who's going to defend at 135? It's like, oh my, oh my God, I just, I just fought. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So she, she wants to have her breath. So like you say, going to your point, yeah, she, she might need to just let one of those belts go so she can focus on being the best champion for one weight class because if she doesn't, she might lose both. Well, let, let me just remind you that the UFC created the women's featherweight division, uh, I believe, at the end of 2016. I think that was the first women's featherweight bout. And almost four years later, we still don't have rankings on their website for 145. So let's keep Amanda there. Do you think there are enough, there's enough talent in the top 10 at 135 to have Amanda's star power go away and have both the potential for a legitimate champion and contenders, quickly, I'll read you the top 10. Jermaine Durandamy, Holly Holm, Aspen Ladd, Juliana Pena, Rocky Pennington, Irene Aldana, Kaitlyn Vieira, Yana Kunitskaya, Sarah McMahon, Marion Renault. You also have um, somebody who's looked good lately, Julia Avila, in that 11 to 15 area. Uh, there's, it's hit or mix there, right? It's hit or miss. It's, 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 uh... Yeah, but you, you, it's, it's pretty strong, though. It's pretty strong. And those girls, you know, they're all around the same skill level. So I think that if Amanda did depart from the 135 weight class, it would give that weight class a chance to do what we've seen happen in a 205 weight class when, when John Jones wasn't, you know, part of it. It gave that chance, you know, for, for it to kind of mature a little bit and have some contenders rise up. Then now you have the Dominic Reyes and, and all these other uh, fighters of that elk. So I think you can do the same thing at the 135 weight class. Give those, give the talent a chance to grow because now what happens is when you get an, a, a nice up and comer at the 135 weight class, you're, you're pushing her through and you're pushing her hype through not so you can build her as a champion, but you can only feed her to the champion. And then that, that's not good for building a tough division, you know, because every new prospect they're getting fed the champion too soon. I wonder if GDR would end up being the champ there. She'd be a, she'd be an odd historical footnote if she became a champion. I I think Holly Holm is the one. I think Holly Holm may be the one if, if Amanda leaves. 
wow. she's older. She's older, but I they think she can do it. Right there at number two in the rankings. They don't. They never push her too far past that at one thirty-five. She's always lingering for another title opportunity. Very interesting. Uh, Rashad Bellator announced a uh, a loaded weekend, September eleventh and twelfth inside the Mohegan bubble on that Friday night, Phil Davis, Leota Machida part two is your light heavyweight main event. Uh, Kat Zingano and the co-main event making her Bellator debut. Uh, does that move you? Oh, I'm moved. I'm moved. I'm moved. Um, Phil Davis has a lot, a lot of tread left on his tires and Machida shown that he does the same as, as well. Uh, and making adjustments, you know, making adjustments as a, older fighter you know the 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 machine that you see now he's using the attributes that he had you know when he was much younger but now he's a lot smarter with it and a little bit more defensively responsible which suits him now that he's older and don't have the reflexes like he used to but he's still going to be dealing with the the his achilles heel no matter how good he is with a stand-up the the wash and repeat cycle of phil davis when he's tenaciously trying to wrestle is a hard bag of nuts to handle and especially for somebody like Machida, who's older now and who may not wrestle in practice or train like he used to, just because it's so hard on your body when you get to be a certain age. Uh, that's Saturday night, which they're calling uh, Bellator 46. How about this for a vacant Bantamweight title bout? Juan Archuleta against Patchy Mix, who's unbeaten. Mm and has had some spectacular submission uh, victories under the Bellator banner. This is a sneaky good fight, Rashad. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in, too. I'm, I'm patchy. I mean, that, that dude right there is kind of exciting me. I bet, you know, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. Uh, in that co-main, John Fitch and Neiman Gracie, which could be a, a stinker, and Liz Carmouche making her Bellator debut as well. So uh, always a – oh, Austin Vanderford is going to bring back his really bad neck tat there, Mr. When is – when is Corey Anderson making his, his uh, Bellator debut? I think it has been announced yet. So oh, okay. uh, soon. Did you see the little public thing? Uh, I don't know if you saw Dana White's Saturday night post-fight press conference, but he just basically took out the hose and was just pissing on folks. He was like, oh, Oscar De La Hoya is going to come back. Well, Coke ain't cheap. Then he's like, oh, Coker thinks they have a better light heavyweight division. Oh, that's cute. Uh, their whole light heavyweight division is people I cut. And then somebody brought up Corey Anderson, and he was basically like, you know, Corey and I talked, and we both agreed that he'd be much more competitive over there at Bellator. Well, CA did not like that and posted heavily on Instagram. It's a little bit of a jab for the boss on the way out, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a jab. I mean, but, yeah, that's tough. That's tough because here's the reality of the situation. I mean, Corey Anderson, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't win the big matches that made you think, wow, except for when he knocked out Johnny Walker, but there wasn't really too many of those. You know what? Honestly, wait a minute. Now I think about it. Corey Anderson was one of the top guys in the weight class. And he, I mean, apart from John, like he, he was, he was yeah. in the con- He was in the mix. He was in the mix, he man. Jan. He lost to Jan Blahoe. Yeah, he was in the mix, but he beat Jan before. He beat Jan before too. But, if he had won that Jan fight, he would be getting a title shot right now. I mean, let's be yeah. honest. He yeah, won four in, in a row. Look, he won four in a row before that Blahoich fight. He got a decision over that barista, Pat Cummins, decision over Glover Teixeira, decision over Latifi, and then he knocks out Johnny Walker. That's a good little run right there. That's, that's a great run. That's a great run. And you're right. He did take a decision from Blahoich back in 2015. Forgot that ever happened. Wow. All right. Uh, 
Dana White was also asked, Rashad, about uh, the idea of any Bellator super fights, and he said, quote, it's like the effing dumbest thing I've ever heard. So, uh, yeah, there's that. I mean, look, there's, this ain't, this ain't uh, pride in UFC and uh, Chuck Liddell crossing the street, right? We're, nah. we're not going to see – I mean, we're really never going to see that. Never. No, yeah. never, never. Never, unless, unless there are some champions that's, you know – that people want to watch over there that's taking viewership that people are like, Oh man, we must watch this guy at Bellator. Then I can see something like that happening. But if you have no equal, like to Conor McGregor, that's getting some ratings over there, then they're not interested. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't care about that. Wow. All right. Hey, this weekend, Rashad, you will be uh, part of that broadcast team. Can't wait from the apex facility in Las Vegas. It's UFC fight night. It's going to air on ESPN plus. And it's light heavyweights in the event, in the main event, but only a three-round main event when Anthony Lionheart-Smith takes on this riser, Alexander Rakic, the 28-year-old from Austria. Yes, he's coming off that split decision loss to Vulcan Ozdemir, but Rashad, he had won 12 in a row before that, including his first four UFC fights. Uh, look, I make calls sometimes on, on things that I feel. I feel like you got to sell your stock on Anthony Smith right now. Uh, he's taken a lot of damage of late. He's, he's alternated wins and losses in his last four against very elite fighters. But Rashad, I, I'm seeing somewhat of a negative turn here. I mean, I just feel like he's leaning on his chin too much. And he's fighting a young, hungry guy looking to make a statement. That's a tough spot to be in. It is. It's a really tough spot to be in. I mean, you know, once you have climbed the top of the mountain and you've seen what's up there, you've seen that view, you know, the, the view isn't, isn't the same. You know what I'm saying? You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't yearn to see that view like you do if you've never seen it before. So you, you, you have a guy in Rakic who, who's never been to the top of the mountain, and he's excited, and he's full of vigor, and, and just a whole bunch of just – that's a hard competitor to fight. You know, a, a guy who's fighting up, a guy who wants to be there where you were, where you were at, you know, and um, – that's what Anthony's going to face. So he's going to have to deal with that energy out the gate. And that's going to equate to a, a rocket who is, you know, coming out the gate fast, like he did against um, um, when, when he fought. Uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank. Vul- Vulcan. Vulcan. Yeah. When he, when, he, oh, when he lost the Vulcan. Yeah. When he lost the Vulcan uh, uh, right out the gate, you know, Rackage went out there and he brought a lot of pressure right out the gate and Vulcan was able to make the adjustments. But I think that's the same kind of thing he's going to do to Anthony Smith because Anthony Smith is, is, a, is a slow starter, you know? So um, he's going to try to jump out on Anthony Smith. But I, I think what Anthony, what, what he's going to have to watch out for is, you know, with Rackage, he does such a good job of keeping people long and keeping that low, the left hand, you know, really just to kind of guide and poke and prod, but he's really trying to send people home with the uppercut or something straight with the right hand. But his leg kicks are, are is really what he's, he's just so good at. Um, the thing that I think that Anthony can catch him with is because Rackage stands so tall sometimes, you know, and he keeps that left hand down, an overhand right would be good. Just anything to crash that left side, you know, right, straight right hand stepping off to uh, Rackage's left, that will create an angle. Um, but those are the kind of things that he's going to have to do against Rackage because Rackage is very good at keeping his opponents long and then sliding out of the range when they're coming forward and landing that sneaky uppercut. When Rackage caught Jimmy Manawa, he came with the uppercut and then caught him with the left hook. But then 
same side, same kick, left, left hook and left kick, knocked out Jimmy Manoa. That's the kind of striking that Anthony Smith is going to have to be ready for. Same side, same kick. That's more of that Muay Thai, that's more of that kickboxing, European kickboxing style that Henry uh, Hoof teaches. I thought I was just feeling something here, Rashad, but if you look at the uh, Vegas odds makers and our friends over at William Hill, they're feeling the same thing. They've got the rising Rockets, who again, coming off a loss, but it was a split decision as a minus 333 favorite over the plus 250 Anthony Smith. So the look, the mileage is, is adding up, although Smith is certainly game in this fight. It's going to be a good one. Just three rounds, though, in your main event. And how about this sneaky good co-main event? Rashad, mm. to me, this is the draw. Robbie Lawler back against Neil Magny in this welterweight affair. Magny as a minus 250 favorite. Robbie Lawler plus 190. And obviously, Robbie's got questions to answer here. 38, been through a million wars. Uh, really didn't have it against Colby Covington. And he's lost three straight. Now, one of those is that weird fight with Askren and a decision loss to RDA. What's your confidence level that Robbie can still be that, that killer of old again? Um, it, it's, uh, it's interesting because, you know, I, when I, when I look at Robbie, I see him in training and he looks phenomenal in training. He's still doing what he needs to do in training and he's still training with, with these, these tough up and coming guys. But, you know, as of lately, he's been, you know, on a, on a bad run when it, when it comes to just competing in the octagon. But I, I'm feeling that, uh, I seen him last week in the gym and, um, you know, he, he was he was looking very good, looking very strong, sparring really hard, uh, being able to, you know, work work his defensive wrestling and things like that. And, you know, I think he, he has a lot of power still, a lot of punch still. Now it comes down to how much desire that he still has. And and that's really even I even though I see him in practice and I see him train, I see him push himself to, it's really hard to tell the desire that a former champion has until you see him step on a line and throw that first punch. Uh, Neil Magny though, you know, he's looked, looked pretty good of late. Just 33 still is uh, fresh off that win over Tony Rocco Martin. That was uh, that was a, an aggressive one. That was, that was a wild three rounds of back and forth affair. Uh, I get favoring him over Lawler. I just want to see, I mean, Robbie's lost four or five. One of those, you know, the title loss it's, it's elite foes he's going against, but I feel like he's got to have one more, Rashad. I, I can't see this guy losing four in a row and just going, all right, I had a good run, it's over. I, I feel like there's pride now. I feel like this is, the, this is that fight that he's got to mount up and come back and remind us. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in order for Neil Magny to get what he wants and get this fight to where he wants to, which is in close position, which is in a grappling scenario where he's able to um, – use that 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 bank of conditioning that he's got from you know training at altitude in denver you know because that's 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 right there is one of his weapons right there just being in great physical shape so in order for him to get the fight there where he's able to grind on robbie he's got to go through those hands you know what i'm saying and and that is where we're going to see which which robbie we have going right now you know a, a robbie who's out there looking to do that sound bite you know what i'm saying or, or a fighter who's out there just looking like he, he was a bit lost, you know, when we've seen him against Kobe Covington. But I, I, I definitely think that this is Robbie's fight, man. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. The other fight of note for me, 
tell me if you like any others, but uh, Alexa Grasso going to make her women's flyweight debut after failing to make weight that time against Claudia Gadelha. Moving up, she's going to face Ji Yong Kim. Uh, you know, look, Alexa's a good-ass fighter here. Can she be a player at the 125 overall title picture? It is wide open. You know, we always say that. You win one good one. We're talking about you as a Shevchenko opponent. But uh, what do you need to see for her at the bigger weight class? Well, I mean, you know, she, she just she just needs to, uh, you know, even even though she's fighting in the bigger weight class, she has to bring those attributes that, that, that made her strong. In, in the smaller weight class, you know, bring the, bring the speed and things like that, but not, not allow these girls to, um, you know, to, to dominate her when it comes to these clinch positions and things like that, where, where she's going to be the smaller girl. But um, from the outside, I, I think, I think when, it, when it comes to it, this weight class is, is pretty, pretty wide open. When you're looking at the stand-up and, and, and you know, the, the, the girls who compete with, with uh, I guess, the leaders in, in, in the weight class, she's right up there with, 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 uh, with, with the stand-up and everything like that. So I think she can make a big splash in 125 uh, weight class, and especially since it's not so thick. I think I think we can we we can see uh, a potential challenger one day, man. I mean, she got she got some ways to go, but I like her you know, game. The weight class not deep. She can work on the ground. I like it. she's got a good game there. So let's see. What yeah, happens. she does. Solid all around. Absolutely. Uh, Rashad, other bit of news to close with this week. Javier Mendez, a.k.a. coach, uh, was on Monday morning's Hablemos MMA podcast in Spanish. And he says this, and look, I know that everyone's always trying to put hyperbole onto a big fight in terms of what it means. Do you agree with this, though? When he talks about the idea of Habib, should he be Justin Gaethje setting up that potential retirement bout next April against GSP? He claims this fight would decide who is the greatest fighter of all time. Um, hmm. Is there a backdoor argument to support that? Obviously, there's a John Jones-sized hole in that, in that argument. But, I mean, there are people who believe GSP's the GOAT. You love yourself some GSP, okay? Uh, we, we've, we've often said Habib is a threat to this conversation. If he closed with Gaethje and GSP, is, is this really happening? If he calls with Gaethje and GSP, he would have to be the GOAT, 100%, just because, I mean, strength of schedule and, and, and what these guys ha- have accomplished. It's just, you know, it's so difficult to have the, com- the GOAT conversation because there's, there's, so, there's so many great fighters who, who definitely be, deserves to be in that conversation. It's hard to have that conversation seriously without bringing Demetrius Johnson into it, even though, you know what I'm saying, he, he didn't get the love in the UFC like he should have. But honestly speaking, when it comes to just the talent, he's, he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys. But then you have John Jones at the same time. We all know how, how great John Jones is and how great, uh, what a fighter he, and what he's done. But then you have, you know, the asterisks by, you know, the, the, the competitions and things like that, where, where, where he's got caught cheating and things like that. So, you know, that, that knocks him down. <laughs> so it, it is, I, with all of that said, I think you would have to give it to Habib if he gets a fight with GSP because that will be the cleanest of, like, you know, being able to say, you know what, legitimately speaking, this is the guy. Because with John Jones, you can say this. With Demetrius Johnson, you can say this. But with Habib, there's nothing you can say. 
And then John, look, the John DQ loss to Matt Hamill doesn't count. He has had a couple close ones, though. You could argue Gustafson won their first fight. You could yeah. argue Bajeta or Tia or uh, Dom Reyes won those two close fights. Uh, yeah, it'd be hard to keep Habib away. I mean, look, uh, if GSP won, I mean, that'd be a big-ass, big-ass crown to put on top. We thought the Michael Bisping was like the cherry on top. Could you imagine that? I if mean, look. Bisping, oh, my God. You I mean, want to look at this argument from Javier Mendez and be like, "Stop, dude, stop!" But I don't know. It, there's a, it's a, it's, it's not ridiculous. But but here here's the reality of the situation. If he fought GSP, there might be a chance that he could lose that fight. I mean, GSP is not what he used to be, but he is still, and he is still a physical right. specimen, yeah, even even right. even to this day. And then and 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 not for nothing. Like when you're away from the sport and you're not competing you just get better on a cerebral level you know so mentally speaking he's a way better fighter than he probably is physically and if he's able to just make his physical just touch that 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 mental just for a second in time he could, he could do it I've been on record saying I don't want this fight unless it's at lightweight because I like the historical element of GSP becoming the first three division champion. That's like, that's monstrous to me. But I do think if you had to do it at a catchweight or at welterweight and you took the lightweight title out of it, framing it as the potential, you know, great. I mean, it, it's, it's cheesy to frame it as that because again, John Jones is still active and no one's really beaten him, but I think that would be a, a great hook as a fan to, to kind of get into and, and have that argument. Three things are always certain, though, when you're talking about George. Water is wet, fire burn, and I'm going to beat Michael Bisping. I mean, look, he's, he's not wrong. All three of those are true. They did happen. All right. Uh, Rashad, that's the show for this week. I always like asking you questions, though, about your career. Uh, it intrigues me, your open honestness. You had a great run. Rashad, if you could take one moment back in your career and reverse it, what would you, what would you pick? One moment back and reverse it. It could be a result of a fight. It could be man. I, w- I would love, I would love, I would love to have that John Jones fight back again. I felt like, um, you know, that it was, I felt as if like there was a lot going on at camp and not to take anything away, but I feel like I could have, I could have done better. I feel like I could have done better and I had my opportunities in that fight, but that, that one fight, I'm just like, that was the one that was my one. interesting is, Shout out to DC. You could have been John Jones's DC because if you had, I mean, let's not forget people forget it yeah. all the time. You hurt John Jones in like round four of that fight. He admitted it to us. You rocked him. All right. Let's just yeah. say you had stopped him there. You're probably getting three fights with him. You already had the history of like four best friends, mentor teammates turned enemies. I wonder if you don't end up historically as, as you know, right there with him it's interesting you never know Rashad what's going to happen but uh I mean that that's 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 so true man and and that's the thing it's like uh you just never know how 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 everything is gonna gonna pan out you know and um it's it's one of those things that as as a a retired competitor it makes me want to be like I can do one more you know what I'm saying just because the fact that I still have that unfinished feeling you know what i'm saying because i I still had that feeling but then the other side of me saying you know what it was what it was and and for what it was it was good so just let it go 
Oh yeah, there's no reason to uh, have any regret or or lament over it. It's only for people like me in their basement, which is <laughs> camp right now, just wondering, hey, what would have happened if this changed? Like, you know, as a fan of yours before becoming your your coworker here, uh, the version of you against Chael in 2013 before that injury, man, you were building something there. You were going to yeah, get really go back to a title shot. They would have given you a John Jones rematch eventually. It would have happened. And- it, it would have, and it was building towards that. And I felt like I was, I was ready for that because I went through, I went through my valley. You know, I, I came off, I had my John Jones hangover, had a terrible fight with Noguera, struggled the consecutive fight with, with uh, Dan Henderson, but then started to figure some things out, knock the cobwebs off, and just, you know, started competing from a different place when I fought Chael. And then when I got hurt, it was just. It, I was just a different fighter when I came back. I, I, I just mentally didn't really want to be there for a lot of different reasons. I know anyone who's a critic, though, can say, well, you may have had to go through D.C. to get to John. So that would have been a tough out. You know what I'm saying, Rashad? Would have been a tough yeah. out. You are the lamest, biggest pussy right, not, I have ever met in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, that's the show for this <laughs> Shout out to the great Mikey Mormile producing it. Uh, the great Sugar Rashad Evans on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Grind her wherever, whatever social media app you're on. Rashad may be there. You never know. Okay, uh, Rashad. Any message? People will check you out on ESPN Plus this weekend. Anything else? Nah, just uh, check me out this weekend, and um, you know, keep following us. We're giving you the content. We're giving you the love. Yeah, yeah. Give it back to us. All right, already, please. It's a it's, it's a Christmas present. Every time we're in your ear hole. All right. <laughs> what else can I say? I mean. I don't know. Uh, Merry Christmas to Brock Lesnar. Yes, to all of you as well. I'm sure Brock is listening. Thank you, Brock. Sorry for the giant penis-shaped tattoo on your chest there. All right, all right. I mean, somebody somebody should have told him, right? When he's sitting down there on the chair, they're like, hey, Brock, just so you know, like this may be, look like the tip of a... Nah, nah, nah. Nah, that, that, that would have put the tattoo artist at, at great risk of getting yes, beat up. Yeah, he would have been, yeah, they, he, he been Heath Herring, by the way, who never, we never saw again after, after Rod put those hammerheads on him. For the time. All right, that's it. I'm rambling. The show's over. Two words, folks. We out. We out.